Hi, everyone. Before I get to my interview with Madeline Clarita, I just want to let you know um, I'm also on YouTube. Uh, you can check out Kyle and Nick on film. That's Kyle Gothi and me on film. Uh, new episodes once a week. We pick a movie and we talk about it. Uh, so find us on YouTube. Like and subscribe. Uh, check out our Patreons for some cool deals on that. And now we're going to go back to my guest, Madeline. She has her own TV show. Um, she's also a producer, a writer, painter, um, actress, model. There's there's just so many things she does creatively, and we'll have that interview up after this message. On the Vintage Video Podcast, we'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s on their 40th anniversaries. John enters the store now to order another can of ether. I picture him outside like Homer with the gasohol. <laughs> one for you, one for me. I also like to think about it, that the kids renew their vow not to talk about the murder. By, by murdering <laughs> someone. <laughs> They're taking a blood oath with someone else's blood. This stuff is seven times more powerful than uranium. And yeah. they, they open up the vault that it's contained in, not wearing any kind of protective nope. gear. Yeah. And it's wooden crates. Wooden crates. It's like the guys in Chernobyl picking up the graphite rocks yeah. and going, eh, because there's rocks. Hugging the elephant foot. <laughs> just like, oh, this thing's smooth. It's so warm. He turns to dial the number from the classified ad without even thinking about the numbers. <laughs> we know this because we can hear his thoughts and he's talking about how AJ was right that ninjas are misdirecting him. They're misdirecting him. I really wish that he'd turn to the phone and be like, Vintage Video. We're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. Filmcast, and with me is Malin Carita. She's a TV producer. She's on television. She hosts shows. She does films. She's a film bus, fought buff, and an actress. Hi, <laughs> hi Madeline. Hi, hi. This is awesome. Um, I would like to. Show, uh, and so, how can people find your TV show before we begin? Well, um, it's called the Madeline Carita Show. So my name's on it. Uh, any, it's everywhere right now. Right now, we are on MCN6 in Minneapolis. Um, we're getting ready to go on Amazon Prime. And then <gasps> okay. in, about a month, in about a month, we're going to be going across the pond, hang out with the queen and have tea. Um, the show is getting ready to do distribution in, uh, throughout the UK. That's, that's kind of exciting. You're going to be international pretty soon. Oh, yeah. Well, I've kind of been dancing around with the idea of being international with other shows I was doing. Like, this is my fourth show that I've produced. This is the one, however, where I decided to put my name on it because I felt like it would mean more. But um, before this, I did a international music video show where we played music videos from all around the world. Oh, all right. Okay. This time, we're going to take my big mouth to go hang out with the queen and have scones. (laughs) Have you ever had tea? I wait, wait, wait. You mean I, I mean I've had tea, but you mean like tea time? Or <laughs> I'm just I'm <laughs> I'm the one person in the world who's never ever had tea ever. You're lying. What? No, I'm a coffee kind of guy, so I, I stick to coffee. I don't even drink pop anymore, so I'm more of a coffee guy. But okay, tea's tea's what it is. 
Um, so what is what is uh, what is the is a interview show like we do here on our podcast? Is that what the TV show is? What your TV show is or? Um, it is a audio and visual podcast uh, that I've titled mm-hmm. the most dangerous podcast in the world because you know it gets the people going. Yes, it I does. Really know what I mean. It just gets the people going. It gets them excited. Not joking. Um, it is it definitely. I titled it the most dangerous podcast in the world. Um, it's an audio video visual podcast. So you can see me do it live over zoom because you know, coronavirus is getting real. Um, <laughs> but it's also a radio show on KFAI. And so you can listen to it. You can watch it. Uh, it's a little bit of everything. It's a cable show. It's a radio show. It's a podcast. It's kind of all thrown together. And the focus of it is I, I talk to people who are kind of at the center of controversy a lot of the time. Okay. It's all, it's a very controversial show where uh, anything could be said, and it's definitely not for children. So one of my first guests was the Black Panthers. Then in the middle of the Minneapolis riots, uh, I talked to Andrea Jenkins, who's on the Minneapolis City Council while the riots were also going on. Uh, I talked to porn stars. I talked to all kinds of people that are kind of in the center of controversy and what people are talking about and what people want to know more about. Well, that's, I, I like that, that it's um, not so much a show that you're actually seeking out people that are kind of, yeah, they have that kind of a little bit of being edgy. Well, yeah. Cause yeah. I think nobody wants to see anybody make cookies and nobody wants to see anybody talk about like, you know, we, we can only get our fill so much of like the plain safe topics. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been doing the show? Well, let's see. How long has it been? It has been. Um, I actually I did it May twenty seventh. So I was say right in the middle of the Minneapolis riots. Oh. So it's been a couple months. Oh my God! You, you that it's kind of an awkward kind of a time, but it's perfect for your what you're seeking for content. It's a kind of a perfect time to start as well. Uh huh. Well, I mean, I was talking to the head of the Black Panthers. Yeah. Uh, who's known as King Rick. And I figured, well, you know what? What better time than talk to the head of Black Panther? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. There's like no better timing. Like uh, I'm eventually hoping to put that show up for an Emmy. But Emmy, <laughs> it costs like $400 to join the Emmy committee. So. Okay. That's good to know. All right. <laughs> Are you? I, and then you also this translates into the radio part so your show is not just television but it's also on the radio as well yes okay and and then uh, once again i uh, just want to make clear how can people find you on the radio uh kfai 90.3 fm all right i will definitely put the links up for your show um where you can find you on television and the radio so um where uh, when uh, where is the time schedule where they can find you on the radio um, if you look at the podcast section, like if you go to KFAI, like, um, their, their website, yeah. you can hear it anytime. Okay. All right. And that, have you always wanted to do something like this, like a TV show, radio show? Did you always want to kind of do something like that? Oh yeah. Like I started, uh, I started this career in this love affair with film and acting and modeling and all that other stuff that I do when I was about six years old. Okay. Um, 
you know, I have been writing plays and hosting TV shows since before I could, you know, before I could reach the the top of this the sink, since <laughs> before I could reach the cabinet. I've been I've been on this mission for a very long time. By the time I was fourteen, I was a award winning playwright, an actress. So for me, yeah. it was definitely something that's always been in me. And then I made a futile attempt at trying to go to medical school, and uh, well. I realized one day as I was armed deep into a cadaver that, you know, I had great grades uh, trying to be a doctor, but at the same time, it isn't what moved me. It isn't what brought passion into my life. So then I started the journey full time into the land of film and entertainment and acting and all of that. So this has been part of a very long journey and a very, um, a a very early dream. (laughs) No, I in the more I interview people who are performer artists who do TV and radio, um, the more I find out it starts out very early. Even though they go away from it, it's it starts out very early and it never really goes away. Yeah, yeah, including me because I would I would I always love comic books and I went away from it, but it always came back to me eventually. Oh yeah, I saw yeah. your comic book. Oh my god, I was just like. Because, you know, I'm a person that um, has drawn her fair number of comic books, even though I do not share it with people. And when I saw that you had one, I was like, mm. wow. And then you had it out there. And it was it was amazing. Sorry. I know mm. that you're doing the interview, but I had to tell you. I was just well, like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Well, thanks. But it, I, I, if I could just share, but it, it took a long time. I spent my 20s trying to outdrink myself. And then I spent my 30s trying to outwork myself catching up on money and now i'm spending my 40s doing what i should have been doing since i've been a teenager is making my own comic book so just like you emphasize if what you want to do eventually comes back to you that you always want to do right oh yeah i hear yeah. the part about the 30s and you come in for my life right there i'm like yo why are you, why are you attacking me right now <laughs> I spent my 20s going on adventures. Uh, you know, now yeah. I'm in my 30s. And, like, I spent my 20s going on adventures and around the world. And and part of me had started to feel like, oh, did I – did I, I'm not where I need to be. I need to catch up and all of that. And then listening to you, I'm like, okay. I, 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 I hear now that there's still time and you can always get done what you need to get done. I've, I've been – I'm a notorious late person everything including stuff that I should have done in my life my mom always said I would have been a late bloomer and she's right it took me many years to do what I should have been doing before but I like the journey I like the process of where I got to now because now I feel comfortable doing comic books where I don't think I would ever in my 30s and 20s been comfortable doing my own comic books I think that's awesome and I feel you on the lateness I was born two weeks late (laughs) I was born two weeks late and and asleep Oh, you know what? I believe that's true with me because when I was born, they thought I was dead. Mm-hmm. And oh, then, you know what? We got yeah. a similar story then. Well, I guess for me, uh, I was asleep and the doctor slapped me and my mother said I turned at him, grunted, and went back to sleep. <laughs> like I turned to him proud and then went back to sleep. And he was just like, oh, well, she's alive. I've heard that from my parents that when I, yeah, I was born too, that I was I was snoozing also, so... Yeah, we, we have a lot in common. We're kind of late to the game all with all the time. <laughs> we're late to the game, but we're always prepared. I feel like yeah. those who, you know, we had to make an entrance. You got to make an entrance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you arrive on time. That's, you know, that's what the that's what nerds do. We got to <laughs> make an entrance. We got to be like, oh, I have finally got here. Thank you. Thank you. 
So um, I, I just want to go back to it because uh, you, you seem like a very highly creative person. Is it something that it's always with you that you, you no matter what kind of medium you feel comfortable being creative at? Yeah, uh, it's definitely that. Like uh, the funniest part is both my parents are artists. Okay. They have, yeah. have degrees in art. My mom has two master's degrees in art. Like both my parents are are, are artists. And for me, they were just like, oh, wait, you don't want to go to medical school? And I'm looking at them like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's <laughs> what, that's what I was cut out for. But, um, yeah, in any medium, um, I went to an Ivy league art school in Yellow Springs where I met Dave Chappelle once or twice. Um, that's a good person to meet. It was, it was. And this was after I decided that I was not cut out to, like I've always had great grades. Uh, I graduated high school when I was about fifteen. You know, I was the I was the Ivy League darling. Like I was supposed to become this doctor, and instead, I felt this pull in me that like I always have to be creative. I always have to create. I always um, I'm always either the muse or the creation in the, the creator or the creator and the muse. Yeah. So I live this life where I. I don't do well if I'm not constantly immersing myself in art, if I'm not constantly manifesting the art and images and the, I guess the, the vibrations, whatever you want to call it out yeah. into the universe. I, I can totally relate because I've always, even when I've been away from the world of creativity, that you, it's almost a itch. It's almost like a scratch. It's an adjutant. Like you want to create pictures, you want to draw, you want to create shows and all that stuff. You want to get it out there or it's just going to eat you up. True, true. Then I, I can definitely tell, like, um, I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm not the only person in America that suffers from, I suffer from depression. So yeah. for me, I, I realize I'm not the only person out there that suffers with it. And I think that's why I want to, I'm open about it because I want to make sure that other people know that when a lot of the times when we are suffering the depression, we forget the things that we love. So when I feel like I'm like, there was a time when I couldn't paint for three years for four years. There was a time when I was like, Oh, this is too personal to share or, or all of that. Yeah. When, when those things start going away from me, that's when I realize that I'm not doing well when I'm no longer dancing or painting or creating or, or making television shows or trying to make television shows or making comic books or just kind of doing the things that bring me to life. That's when I notice that like, yep, it's time to keep being creative because without those things, it, you know, it's, it's a little bit more dark. It's yeah. a little bit easier to slip into whatever that depression says is true without those things going on in my life. And I think that that's true for a lot of other people. Yeah. So for me, it's vital just because, you know, like I said, I'm raised by two artists. I left medical school to be an artist. Um, it's vital to who I am and how I function and relate to people in the world. I absolutely applaud you for being very open about depression. It's still kind of a touchy subject for many people um and almost it's it's almost like a very skittish even among family members to talk about it but thanks for being so open about it well it's it's with depression part of depression is that it lies to you depression tells you you're never good enough that painting is never going to be good enough that comic book that you're working on is just never going to be good enough yeah and it becomes harder to talk about it be it feeds off of that 
of that us not talking about it. And I feel like things like the arts and creating and, you know, um, graphics, comic books, TV shows, all of this is is what helps keep us sane and what helps keep fighting against that depression, at least for me anyway. Oh, no, I, I agree that uh, that healthy being constantly working on your projects, thinking about it, but also that you have to be open about it because if you're just going to work and keep it inside, it doesn't really provide a good outlet that you have to share what you are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think it helps other people. It helps other people begin to share. There's yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have about 900,000 social media followers and I share because I feel so like, I feel like I might explode if I don't share. And, <laughs> and then I'm always surprised that other people go, well, you know what you saying this allowed me to go back to dancing. You, you saying this made me feel like it was okay to create that TV show. Um, it, you doing this made me feel like it's okay to go back into painting. Yeah. So I always feel good about talking about my experiences with depression and art and how that's healing or how when I'm not creating art, how I find myself in dark places. Um, I am always excited to be able to share that with other people and to let them know that like, Sometimes you just have to do it. You have to get it done. You have to create. Um, I also did uh, fine arts at the college. Um, what kind of painting do you do? Do you watercolors, acrylic, oils? What kind of paintings do you or you do all of it? I do all of it. Um, um, I do most of the time I draw hyper realistically. Okay. So if I'm looking at something, it looks exactly like what it looks like. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Almost um, like, like Chuck Close, <laughs> like super realistic. Yeah. I, I yeah I usually do super realistic but then sometimes it's cartoonish it, there is no I kind of I kind of go at whatever the vibe tells me and I guess the plus side of having two parents that have you know master level art degrees is that there really hasn't been any type of art that I haven't been able to be good at um, I have a couple different mixed media works in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York oh. um, well congratulations oh yeah yeah. And it's, it's, it's one of those things. And then, you know what, my mother and my aunt are also in museums. Their works are also in museums. So it's, oh, I come from a lineage of people who, when it comes to art and the creation of art, um, it is something that's just, I feel like it's not only culturally vital, but it's, I feel like almost it's a genetic thing. I feel like I inherited this gift. <laughs> it does us, that does um, kind of sound like it's kind of been kind of already prescribed to you. It's almost in, in your DNA. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know what? And what's funny is when I thought I was going to be a doctor, I remember just feeling that inside of me being like, are we really going to cut up in another body today? <laughs> this is what we're doing. We're not going to go paint. Okay. Well, I guess that's what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> And then it hit me um, that, you know what, I didn't really want to be a surgeon. Uh, I wanted I wanted a different life. I wanted adventures. I wanted to uh, follow this pull that art has always given me and film has always given me. So uh, a hard road. Um, so you do also do paintings, but you also do writings as well. Do you do what kind of writings do you do? I have a poetry book. Well, I have a, I had a poetry book and then okay. I turned it into a spoken word book um, dealing with the concept of, it's called What If the Devil Dreams? And it's kind of putting this mythological figure of Satan 
into a realm in which there's actual feelings and human emotions that are like, um, I guess, ascribed to this deity. Okay. Uh, deity. Deity is deity have to be positive. I guess deity. I'm like, is that the right word? Um, <laughs> I want to write scripts, but I know way better script writers, so I'm oftentimes embarrassed <laughs> when I bring it to them. Um, my final goal is to actually start creating and making movies. Not as a screenwriter, though, but more as a producer and director. Um, but like, when it comes okay. to writing, I write about everything. Whatever okay. whatever strikes my fancy. I, uh, I, I've caught myself because I've done already. I did a, a script for my comic book. I did a sequel script to the comic book um, and also written two short plays. And I've caught myself that when you do that much writing, that it's hard to have conversations with people because you're almost like you want to fix the conversation that's happening in reality. You know, like, no, no, no. What you should say is this when I say this. (laughs) I mean, but I think that's everybody. Like how many of us has, how many of us have won an argument in the shower with the soap bottle? How many of us have First of all, you, you're the one. And but I, you know how, I, yes. how have we given our, our side of the story to? And I, I've, I absolutely, the, my, uh, the one thing I, when I saw the movie Phantom Thread with Daniel Day-Lewis, of him mm-hmm. being, being an artist with dresses and everything, but of him being so agitated about when he's creating and he's in the moment of people interrupting his his process and it almost shuts him down and it aggravates him and i totally relate to that idea of the interruptions of when you're working on your page or something and then my wife says oh we got to go to this we have to do this and it's like you just interrupted me so do you deal with interruptions well (laughs) that's what probably i'm asking um i think it well I am one of, um, let's see, I'm the oldest of about 16 children. You're the, you're the oldest. I'm the oldest of about 16 people. Wow. So for me, it's while I do, I, I work best when I'm just in my own little world, in my own little bubble, I've had to learn to adapt to distractions going on around me. Okay. Just because growing up, growing up, when you have so many brothers and sisters, and you know, I have I have a lot of cousins, I have a lot of aunts and uncles, and our family, and you know, our family, our family will fight with each other, but then we'll be at dinner table next week, or we'll call each other all night, we'll talk to each other every day, we're always um, circling each other. So I kind of had to grow up understanding that, yeah, it's gonna suck that I have distractions. But it is what it is. But it sounds like you have able to handle the interruptions, the distraction, the noise better than how I have done in being in my 40s even when creating. That still is that agitated state of the interruption, but it seems that you were able to handle it. Oh, the universe decided I was going to be able to handle it. I was quite <laughs> all the numero uno. The universe decided that I was going to handle it. So um, your next adventure and then the other part of the creative spectrum from you is films. And I just wanted to ask you just generally what's, uh, what started your interest in movies? Um, I guess the best way to put it is I remember well, – so I've always had cable my entire life. I'm not old enough to remember what time was like before cable television. Okay. And I remember sitting down in front of um, – Oh, what's it called? Uh, is it not Bravo? Uh, Turner Home Movies. 
Okay. Yep. Turner Classics. Or no, Turner. My my grandmother would watch these old Laurel and Hardy films. And I remember watching, I remember watching those with her. And then one day I started watching this by myself. And then I saw Betty Davis. Betty Davis came across the screen and sauntered down the staircase. And I remember being a kid like, wow. I just remember watching films and being like, whoa, whoa, who is this? What is this? Like my love affair with film started before I, before anything else I've ever known in my life. It's my earliest love. I remember watching old films. I remember watching Charlie Chaplin. I remember watching, um, uh, what is it? The Graduate. I remember being way too young to watch The Graduate. Uh, I remember being way too young to watch, you know, what's that movie? We're walking here. I'm walking here. Uh, that you would know? be Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy. Way too young to be watching Midnight Cowboy or The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Like, I just remember being a kid yeah. and my parents, you know, they're artists. So they never they've always explained movies weren't real. And I was like, OK. Cool. So I've always known movies weren't real, but that doesn't really that hasn't really stopped my love affair with the fantasy and imagination and magic that movies give us all. Because it's like you can have a bad day and then you'll watch something that makes you feel like you're going to take off and fly across the room. That at any point you're going to grow wings and run a million miles and movies can help us movies help us do that. Movies help us forget about the tragedies outside of our window. Or movies can help inspire us to become that thing that changes in the world. I think a lot of people, while movies are entertainment, we underestimate how how valuable that they are. We underestimate the importance of representation in films. We underestimate how watching the right film at the right time can change who you are and your perspective on um, and your perspective on life in a way that you know sometimes talking to you or sometimes a conversation can't um, and I totally relate to you because uh, and I th- I've shared on my show many times that I grew up uh, before they well before I think it was my first grade that we didn't have a television in my house and the only entertainment that we did was either the radio or we go to the movies or the drive-ins or the movies all the time so yeah, movies are a big center of my life as much as yours because we didn't. I never had the television until probably like uh, kindergarten, first grade, and then when you finally got it, it was really kind of boring to me. Kind of mm-hmm. like it's kind of like almost like well, you know, I know what's going to happen before you know. I know Wonder Woman is going to save the day. I know he's going to turn the Hulk, and that's. But the you see movies and you see the change and the evolution. Everything always changes. As well as it's not so stiff. Like television's always, well, in the 80s. It's not anymore, but in the 80s, it was all centered. Everything was centered. In the movies, that's never really true. It's never really about centered. It's the different angles and their depths and all the lighting. And it was so different that I always gravitated to movies. Yeah, I, I love television, but television for me is me practicing to make the big films. Um, yeah. I'm seeing it as a way for me to learn the ropes of, of what I want to do because in my mind as an artist and as a film buff, you know, I have these fantastical visions of worlds and atmospheres and, and journeys I want to take people on, but that requires money. So in the meantime, <laughs> in the journey of creating these wonderful things, because it's in the end, as much as I hate to admit it and as much as I hate to think about it. 
films are a business, even though it's a magical, wonderful, amazing thing to me. I realize that films are a business. So I'm working in television in order to begin that journey into films, into creating these magical um, these magical manifestations of art on the screen. Um, if you could just, I don't want to catch you, but if you can think of what uh, what's a good movie that's on your mind right now, of any past or present, what movie that's kind of on your radar right now as we speak? Um, I guess I, I guess as you know, in the last uh, in the last month, considering what has recently happened, um. I'm gonna. I'll go with my first TV show. My first TV show right now, which I think is almost as good as a film, is Lovecraft Country, and the oh. film I've been thinking about. Huh? I, I was just. I'm, I'm. Yes, I love. I just started watching that. Oh my god! Yeah, Lovecraft Country has made me excited about television. But uh, I guess the movie. The movie I'm really thinking about is the movie I'm trying. The movie I want to create. Okay. Um, but <laughs> I'm revisiting. Um, I'm revisiting movie the you know the black I revisit Black Panther recently, um, just because it makes so much sense for what's going on in the world right now, and with the passing yeah. of Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. Um, I've been kind of going back and looking into that those kind of films. Um, let me think. I'm trying to think the film that I've really been been focusing on right now. I guess I, I think you caught me slipping. I think I'm slipping. <laughs> if I, I'm if you don't. Uh, huh? If you don't mind, I would like to share one because I have to do research for my YouTube show, my Kyle and Nick uh, YouTube channel. Um, the one movie that's kind of on my radar right now is from 1976 Network. Oh, where, wow. Where, wow. Going back, dang, that's, that's, that's a long one. I've seen Network. Yeah, but I think it's funny that Network, even though it's from 1976, is uh, 1976, it's far more revelant now than it was in the 70s where it looked like it was completely outrageous but now we live in what network was prophesizing we live in the youtubes we live into reality tvs and tabloid televisions and they were predicting it and it's kind of funny to watch that movie back then telling us this is going to happen and people like almost like no you're kind of doing exaggerated satire comedy of what television is but then we're into it now Oh yeah, no. Network is very relevant to what's going on right now. Yeah, yeah. Like network is super relevant, and you know uh, what is it? And it was a satire. I'm 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 pulling yeah. back into the like, uh, into the 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 mainframe. It was it was a satirical black comedy, right? Yeah. Um, who directed that? Was it? Uh, Sydney Lumet. You Sydney got Lumet. it. Yes, you got it. Yeah, yeah. And then you know then. <laughs> And you you know when you watch um, the the style of like the seventies was almost like you film it looking like it as it happened and Sydney did that probably as best as anybody in the seventies when he did like you know Dog Day Afternoon and Network and um, he did even Death Trap these it almost looks like you're witnessing as it happened even though it's very stylized. Oh yeah, I mean there's a reason why it, there's a reason why Network had so many like um, Oscars you know it had so many Academy Awards. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna tell you, I am a film vault. <laughs> I am a film. I am a film vault. I will. I watch so many things, and so much time. But yeah. Um, and I mean, let's be real. Like um, Ned Beatty, definitely. I feel like Ned Beatty didn't get enough credit in that film. 
I know well, well the Howard Beale speeches, you know, I'm mad as hell. It gets all the accolades and, you know, they gets the 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 trademarks. But Ned Beatty's speech to Howard Beale in that movie is probably the best speech. I love how he did it all of it. Even though he's yelling at him and then he does quietly, "Do you get anyone I understand?" and he goes back to yelling at him. <laughs> True, true. I think Ned ba- Ned Beatty. You know what? I feel like Ned Beatty in general had was one of the like most. Uh, he went out on the limb the most when it came to his roles. Like have- yo, Deliverance. Anybody, Deliverance. I know it's funny that he did this very powerful man who runs a TV, who owns a TV network in the movie network. But then a couple months later, he's in Superman, being a bumbling idiot. <laughs> Uh, Ned Ned Beatty is one of those unsung actors that just never get enough credit. And I mean, yeah, the bumbling idiot. I mean, but nobody like once again, nobody forgets deliverance once you see it because he puts himself in this position where Mia is a woman. I never know when I'm watching a film where things like that, like, you know, those kind of scenes pop up for me as a woman and then being able to watch somebody as um, as great as Ned Beatty be able to recreate some of the feelings that, you know, so recreate a scene that's so hard, but so memorable. We're not going to get into the scenes of deliverance right now. (laughs) I can't. But I, the best thing about Deliverance is, it, there, no matter every, every every time building up to that, you know it's going to go wrong. I mean, you don't have to even get the plot, but the whole how they emphasize the, the cringiness of it that maybe we should not do this, and they still go ahead and go on this trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. Like I, I feel like it came out as a mainstream movie, but it's definitely Grindhouse. That's definitely kind of a Grindhouse type of. <laughs> I I'm glad you read you put that up yes because every time you watch it you go there's something off about this this not this is not like a mainstream movie and you're absolutely right it's very very grindy kind of 70s movie yeah it's a very grindhouse 70s movie like I'm not, not saying it's I spit on your grave but it's it's you know there's some there's some definite cringe factors but kind of going back to network like uh, I mean once again there's so many other like Faye Dunaway in that it 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 harkens back to exactly what you were saying that we are living in network what was this yeah. what was the black comedy what was satirical is now the absolute news of the day <laughs> yes yeah where um where the emphasis is almost like an infomercial of the news rather than just giving the news delivered you have to have almost an infomercial of the news which mm-hmm. which Howard Beale was you know telling you that this is probably going to be coming where he was against it but now people use what he was doing in the movie as a platform to do what he was fighting against yep which is kind of kind of a funny kind of a play on that yeah so well, you never know. Lots of uh, sometimes movies are visionary, whether they want to be or not. Sometimes movies are the way in which we kind of um, are a way in which writers and authors can talk about their predictions in a safe space. Because, um, you know, how many movies have we seen that have kind of predicted a lot of the things that we are currently dealing with? Yeah. How many movies where you're like, wow, OK, that was a little bit more visionary and real than I was expecting. <laughs> Or you know, and I watch a lot of movies. How something was so shocking at the time, or so controversial, but now you watch and like, what's the big deal? Yeah, I think I don't know when you watch. I think when you watch Network, you you definitely still get the. Uh, I don't feel like it's um, 
it is one of those films that isn't necessarily in line what's going on i think that like you still when you watch it it isn't as big but when you when you still well i guess i'm gonna put it in the right way i feel like you still get the lever the levity of what that film is even though it's not as shocking as it was now there you go you made it better you said it better than i would yeah, it's not yeah. as shocking anymore, but you still get what's kind of going on. So, what kind, what, uh, what kind of film that you always kind of an automatic for you? They always catch you watching more than any others, really. Um, it's a toss up between horror movies, like horror films, and yeah. French uh, and French films, and oh. international cinema. Either I'm really deep. Or, you know, um, or Ash and the Evil Dead are currently fighting each other while his hand turns into a demon. <laughs> I live in this, I'm either, I'm always between the gutter and the stars when it comes between my films. It's like, oh, this is Ingmar Bergman. And then the next time you see me, I'm watching like uh, uh, Space Titties from Outer, like Space Titties Gone Wild or um, Earth Girls Are Easy. Like I live in this space between the cheesy and like actual taste. <laughs> It's kind of if you really love movies, you have to have that wide spectrum and you have to do it. I mean, I've cut myself watching uh, Julie Garland's A Star is Born and the next next movie I'm going to watch is uh, Camp Sleepaway Massacre. (laughs) Oh, wow. Camp Sleepaway Massacre. (laughs) Now, that's a film that hasn't really that film, the shocking ending in that film still I don't. I don't know how I feel about how that translates to in today's society. Yeah. Because end of that. <laughs> yeah, you can write a you can write a two hundred page essay about that ending and what it translates to now, or if it's it's if it's insulting and controversial and all that. Yes, it's <laughs> people are still talking about that ending. Yeah. It's one of those endings where, like, you know, I mean, all it's like it's one of those grindhouse films where the ending. I mean, even the ending was still it was was shocking for the last thirty years. Uh, I do not think I was alive when that film first came out, but um, I was raised in a horror movie house. So my parents like horror movies. My grandparents like horror movies. I was raised by people who love the horror genre. And I, I'm a, so, I, I like the the my flavor for horrors is the psychological horrors. Like if everybody is everybody crazy or am I crazy and everybody's saying I like those play on psychological horrors movies. Oh, so you you're you're a uh, Rosemary's Baby type. Of Rosemary's horror. Baby, Angel Heart, Jacob's Ladder, yeah, all of those that play with your mind a little bit. Oh yeah, Jacob's Ladder is a classic. They were talking about remaking that. I don't know how I feel about it. But I hope they don't. Well, I think that they did already. They've already made a remake to it. And nobody really watched it because there's some films you can't go back to. No, I think that, right, even if you remade it, it wouldn't have the same. It's just far too. Yeah, just leave it alone. Yeah, I, I'm a person that like some films need to be made alone, Leave need to be left alone. Like, OK, Disney films, whatever. I don't care about Disney. But there's some films where I'm like, no, it does not need to be redone. Leave it alone. <laughs> like Citizen Kane. Please don't ever do Citizen. Like I, I do. I never want anybody to touch Citizen Kane. Leave it alone. Yeah. Or Taxi Driver. I don't want to remake of Taxi Driver. You know, there's. I, I think that like there's a reason that these films or Casablanca. Please yeah. don't redo Casablanca. You know, there's just things where I'm like, please just leave it alone. Let it be what it is. I uh, I that's probably why I was so off-putting from the movie Joker is because it. You just you watch enough movies, you can tell it's an homage to Taxi Driver and 
king of mm-hmm. comedy. It's blending king of comedy and taxi driver as well as recognize that we're doing it. And you put Robert De Niro in the Joker. So it's almost like they combine these two stories and then he put a post-it note on the script. Oh, by the way, this is the Joker. It doesn't really yeah. translate very well to me because it looks like, you can tell, it's a Martin Scorsese, we're a fan fan club. Oh, it's, a, it's, it's Martin Scorsese fanfic. Yeah. Um, I still liked it, though. The only thing I didn't like about the Joker was that every... Every dude that saw himself in the Joker role, like afterwards, the people who were posting memes, and I was just like, you don't have even half the like cojones it would take to do this job. <laughs> There's so many people who idolize that um, that Joker character. There's so many people who was like that started to kind of like intake. Who, who thought that they saw parts of themselves in that character and empathized with that character when that character is not meant to be empathized with. No, I agree. Yeah, it's it not meant to be empathized with. No, don't post on your Facebook that you're the Joker. Don't post memes about this is me. Ha 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 ha. No, stupid. That's definitely not you. <laughs> you're, I was like, you know, you're just a basic Midwest white dude that has some fucking issues dealing with the world. <laughs> you know, you just got. I was like, you're just an antisocial white dude that has issues dealing with the world. That doesn't make you the Joker. That makes you somebody who probably needs a good amount of Zoloft and therapy. You know, yeah. Uh, that was my least favorite part of the movie was the people afterwards who were just like, "I see myself in this character," and I was like, "No, you don't. No, I, yeah. no you're nothing like that. Stop, stop." <laughs> is there? And I don't. I might have to put your mark. Is there a movie that you you really do like that other people don't? Like the mass consensus don't really like, but you actually really do like it. Um, I think it's because I watch a lot of films that most of the like mass amounts of people have never actually seen. Yeah. I think that's kind of what's going on. Most of my films are, um, most of the films that I do watch are films that like, I'd be like, oh, have you seen this? I, I am the pretentious art kid sometimes. I am the pretentious art kid. I think the film that I watch that people really don't vibe with uh, is Gummo. I watch Gummo way too much. For the, Gummo. for for our listeners, could you just give us a little rundown what Gummo is? So Gummo, um, I oh I went to like I said before, I went to college in Yellow Springs, Ohio. So next yeah. door to Yellow Springs, Ohio, um, you know Dave Chappelle's in Yellow Springs, Ohio. Next door to Yellow Springs, Ohio is a place called Zeno Zenia, Ohio. And in Zenia, Ohio, in the nineteen uh, early nineteen eighties, there was a storm. A huge tornado, and it knocked all the like paint and chemical supplies into the water. They never cleaned it up. So when you go there, there are a lot of um, let's just say it's it's not very diverse, and okay. because of the chemicals that were in the water, there's a lot of people with uh, mutations. And the film itself is kind of about the people in that area that also deal with abject poverty, um, and they're they're really messed up way of dealing with the world. <laughs> I try to explain it in a way that isn't, that doesn't sound completely psychotic. Cause if you haven't watched Gummo, it's, it's really hard to explain to other people. And having been in that area, it's very real. Okay. So it, it's, it's people who, it you know, it's people dealing with abject poverty and, and how they navigate their lives. 
and it's it's very unflinching. It's it's supposed to be a comedy, but it's so unflinchingly real that a lot of people, you know, a lot of people can get sick during some of the scenes. <laughs> you know, some people will walk out, and for some people, like I've talked to people who were kind of raised in those low in in those environments, and they can't handle it because it feels like people that they've known. It feels like situations that they've been in. Um, there, I have to translate. There's a movie recently um, that people kind of uh, repudiate and don't really like it, but that's the whole point of the movie, and that is uh, uh, Gaspar Noir's Climax, which I really did did love. I really did like the movie, but obviously, if you like it, then you, you already know that you're a weird person. Oh yeah, kind of like Lars Van Tears. You know what? Lars yeah. Van Tears Antichrist was a movie like that for me. Yeah. Yeah, if you're gonna like this, then there has to be something wrong with you. And like, <laughs> like if you say to Gaspar Noir, "I don't like his movies," he would absolutely appreciate it. Oh, thank you. He would love it. He would love it. He'd be like, "Yeah, that's that's what I was going for." <laughs> yes, yeah. But the if, same with Lars Van Tier, though. Lars Van Tier is just like, I'm gonna talk about Nazis now. Why? Because it gets the crowd going. It's because yeah. it's controversial. Yeah, now the, the the house that Jack built, I, can, I see that where he was trying to do is trying to make it uh, where you want to feel bad for this guy as he does the most repulsive things ever, and it's mm-hmm. hard to do. And you're he's not you're not going to like him for doing it, but he's just trying to see if he can possibly do that. Yeah, I mean, there's some movies that you know you like, even though you're like, oh, this is kind of stomach churning, but I'm here, I'm with it, I'm <laughs> for the ride. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, once again, uh, have you seen Antichrist? Yes. Well, I think well, a lot of people have not seen Antichrist. And like, it's one of those films that like, I'll, I will, re- like, I never reach for, but if it's on, I'm probably going to rewatch it. It's it's almost like a reversal of the beginning of the Garden Eden. It's almost like the opposite of it. It Rather- definitely is. It definitely is. Yeah. And I mean, like, Wow, the the Lord has blessed William Defoe. That's all I gotta say. The Lord has blessed William Defoe in many ways. So yeah, and then that's how I perceived it. It's like how the Garden of Eden started with a woman coming out of a man's rib. How the woman is going to do the opposite of taking away a man, and then we're gonna bring in the opposite of flourishing life. We're gonna do the opposite, which is death. But yeah, mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe did marvelous in it. I think he that's hard to present that performance and go through that journey, you know, and then the abuse that he had to endure. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can't really get too far in it. But I mean, I, you know what? I saw that movie. William Dafoe ain't got too many problems in life. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, if I was William Dafoe, I would always walk around naked. I would just be like, hey, I'm William Dafoe. Slap it on the table. Like... <laughs> I was like, that's the one thing that, you know what, the movie is hard to watch, but that's the one takeaway from that film where I was just like, wow, William, I see you. I yeah. see why you have that I confidence. S- I see you. I, yes, I see you. Yeah. <laughs> I see you, William Defoe. Proud so, of you. So I, I understand, Madeline, that you kind of have, you, you, as a person that loves films and you should appreciate, you watch everything. Yes, I watch everything, like, it, no matter, and, and, you know, and I watch things in different, different countries, like, um, you know, right now I've been getting caught up in the, like, Korean historical horror is, is one of those things that I've been loving right now. Oh, yeah, in the early 2000s, the best horror movies were coming out of Asia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what, and some of the best horror movies, yeah, 
because I mean, like, we got Itchy the Killer, um, <laughs> Itchy the Killer, the original Grudge. Like, some of the best horror movies were coming out of Asia. Yeah, and, and some of the best horror movies are still being made. Like right now, uh, well, not only Asia. Some of the best, you know, there was Japanese horror films that were doing amazing. Right now, Korean um, Korean historical horror is killing it. Yeah, Samurais and Zombies. No, one of my favorite movies from the last, uh, uh, over the early 2000s is um, Park's trilogy of Old Boy, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, which I think that trilogy is just a marvelous piece of filmmaking. It is, it is. And I feel like, uh, uh, you know what, and back to what we were talking about, I do not believe Old Boy needed a remake. No. I'm... It did not need to be remade with anybody else. I feel like American audiences just need to suck it up and enjoy film the way it was created. <laughs> you make me laugh because I'm begin. I'm I'm, start, I'm starting to picture the beginning of the movie where he's drunk inside the police station lounge and he's just making a fool of himself. <laughs> it's a great movie, I and know. I think remaking of it to supposedly be more. Uh, palatable to American audiences is garbage. I'm glad, like with the film Parasite, that that didn't happen. It's been time. Yeah. Um, Old Boy was amazing. The Old Boy trilogy, the Old Boy films, um, they're going to be one of the all-time classics, I think. I do yeah. think that they're, uh, it's it's the top 20 best list, and Old Boy's definitely on that for me. I think people really should check out Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. It's one of the best revenge movies that you ever it find. Is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, she does it in the snow, and it's all shot. Just wonderful, allegorical. It's yeah, that's beautiful. the scene I remember the most. Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, when she's in the snow and the blood again. Oh, wow, wow. Yeah. I, I just went right back to seeing that scene again in the moment where, like, my heart is just kind of like, it's the most beautiful, violent thing I've ever seen in my life. That's And then that's one of the things that I like about Asian uh, horror movies. It, it could be this grotesque, but it's beautifully shot stuff that you're like god it looks good but oh they're eating somebody this gross but it's really good filmmaking yeah you're like wow the scene is beautiful oh oh did they just eat his toe okay cool <laughs> you know you know what that even happens in like uh that happens in a lot of the uh, asian films and i think that's kind of what makes it harder for american films to try to adapt asian films yeah yeah. Because we, I mean, come on, Americans definitely understand violence, right? We are the kings of violent movies, but we don't understand necessarily the beauty that can be, um, the beauty, I, I know this sounds really weird, but we don't necessarily understand the beauty that can be wrapped up in violence. Yes, yeah, how it could look absolutely marvelous, but it's just kind of repulsive at the same time tashiaki maki is a brilliant person that i think a lot of american filmmakers don't have Uh, a lot of what makes films great is the scene where the actor should cry and they almost cry but they don't it's the duality it's the things that the audience doesn't really expect that i think makes films the best part yeah um so i would like to you know what is your kind of your all-time favorite movie what kind of is in your in your ballpark kind of a what's kind of the, some of your favorite movies that you really enjoy? I would say one of the fa- my favorite movies is um, La Vie en Rose. Oh, really? La Vie en Rose is a story about a young boy. This is this is a French film. There's two of La Vie en Roses. There's one about the life of Ida Ida Pif. That's I, what I, I thought. Yeah. 
but then there's another one, uh, my light, um, the Vion Rose, which is about a young boy coming to, coming to the realization that he, um, that he is female. Oh, it is a realization of a young boy coming to this realization that he does not feel like a boy, that he is not a boy, and that he begins to start living his life, his authentic life, at about seven or eight years old as a girl. And at the time period, it was like the early 90s, and I remember watching this as a kid that wasn't really that much older than him, and kind of being like, I I understand. I was never, I'm, I was like, you know what? It helped me understand that like, it is best to always live your authentic life, even if other people do not understand that. And then it kind of talks about the experiences in a, in a very realistic way, right? It blends this yeah. idea where, you know, you're, you're partly in a seven-year-old boy's fantasy, right? You're partly in a seven-year-old boy's fantasy where he's a Barbie doll and everything's fine and he gets to drive in Barbie cars, he gets to wear dresses, he gets to wear makeup and you see him at his like happiest state. Yeah. And then when we leave that world, you see the parents being like, oh, this is your fault. You're, something's wrong with you. And, but you see how beautiful the, and happy this child is, but then you see the parents like, this is your fault. This is something's wrong with you. And then they, he gets, his mom slaps him and then he has to deal with people at the school judging him and calling him gay and, and all these other things that, um, you know, we live in, we live in 2020 where now we can openly say, okay, your identity is female. We accept you. But in the early 90s, this film was considered groundbreaking. It was considered something that we couldn't talk about. It was considered something that was too taboo for a child to watch. Right. Yeah. And that's the whole that movie, as well as the whole basis of the crying game. Like, how could you, you know, how does that play a part in, you know, authenticity of persons of self? As well as it plays out in movies of the whole movie of the original cat people is the woman turns into cat when she suppresses her biological urges. So <laughs> it's a, always an adventure of authentic selves being played in movies. Well, I mean, which cat, walk, cat, cat person are we talking about? Are we talking about... Uh, the Cat People, nineteen four, nineteen forty five, nineteen thirty five, I think. Nineteen forty five. Seventy Cat People. No, no, not about- the, not the. Well, the remake is a little more. Uh, Paul Schrader's remake in the eighties is a little more um, able to, con- you know, the upfront about what the whole content of the movie. But in the black and white Cat People version, they can't really show that in the forties. It, but it's always played on that you know she's going to morph into this cat when she has unleash your suppressed urges mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. i think a lot of the best films are about our um who we are who we are on the inside who we yeah. are uh who who are who we are um in reality like identity like some of the best films i think are the ones that deal with who we are who's your identity how are within this context of what everybody else sees or what everybody else is expecting you to be. Um, I guess another one of my favorite films is uh, this is a Mexican film and it's called like Water for Chocolate. Oh, oh, I like that one. It's it it's I don't know. It's for me um, with my background, the thing you know, the family, all of that. Yeah, it is one of the 
I'm not a romance person though. I'm not a romance person at all. I'm like, oh, romantic comedy, I'm going to die. <laughs> I watch everything, but I don't like romantic comedy that much. Like, if I have to watch it, it's cool, but it's not what I'm reaching for. Um, I'm not a romance girl. Romantic film where I'm like, I'm here for it. Um, yeah. And that was because I like the idea. I like the idea of cooking. Okay. I, 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 I know cooking is part of romance. It always goes together, kind of. Yeah, I like the idea of the magic, uh, of the magic, the supernatural, the real, the romance, the hard part, all of that wrapped into one incredible film. Yeah. And the end was amazing. And the ending of that film, while, while it was amazing. <laughs> I will, before we, uh, we, uh, I would like to share my favorite ending of a movie of all time, if I could possibly may. And I yes. hope I hope you know the movie. It's Brian De Palma's The Fury. I love that mm-hmm. end. I love that ending so much. And don't don't Google it or don't go look on YouTube the ending. You have to watch the whole movie to appreciate that ending. So Yeah, I, I'm I have I know of The Fury. I have not seen it. Is it based on William okay. So is it based on William Faulkner's The Sound and the Fury, or is that a different, or is it totally different? Um, no, the, uh, right, it, it sounds like it should be, but no, it, uh, Brian De Palma's The Fury, it's these people are telekinetic. These teenagers have special talents that they telekinetic, they can move things with their mind, and then a secret government operatives kidnap Kirk Douglas's son because he's far too talented to use him as a weapon against you know their enemies. And then Kirk Douglas tries to kidnap his son back. And this whole point of him telekineticing to another teenage girl that has the same pers- p- powers and all that. So, But it's a little bit like a horror movie. It's a little bit more like a sci-fi. It's, 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 I think it's a fabulous movie. And the ending is has a massive payoff to it. You know what? That sounds like something that's so up my alley. I'm so surprised that I have not watched it. Uh, I don't know. My favorite ending to any movie is yeah. Scanners. Ah, yeah. See, but you get that. I even like the beginning of that movie too. Yeah, Scanners is amazing. Like Scanners, when the guy's head explodes, it's one of the best, the best endings ever. No, I, I think would I would love to been in the casting audition room with David Cronenberg saying, "Give me your best scanner face." Go do it. And then Michael Ironside did it, and he's like, you're hired. Oh, yeah. 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 That's kind of, you know what? I think that's why I find myself gravitating to, uh, you know, Stranger Things and stuff like that, because it's a blend of all of those, like, wonderful movies from the 70s where there's a lot of, you know, that was a time period when they had to start talking about the Indigo Children and then Carrie, and there was a lot of ideas of paranormal children. Yes, because of you know this the the idea of the indigo children had just kind of like emerged, even though it's considered pseudo science. I am a person that feels that it is very real. No, you're um, absolutely right. Uh, if you go back in the seventies, even you've cited Rosemary's Baby and Carrie. These um, and then I cited the the Fury with Brian De Palma. This idea of the of talented children taking over. Mm-hmm. There's so many of them, though. I mean, we could even talk about The Shining, The Shining, The Exorcist. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all these films still, you know, The Shining still involves a talented, a a gifted child. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that the world of the indigo placed a, the indigo child became not only pseudoscience, but it affected the films of that time period. You're right. You're right. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I watch way too much. <laughs> I watch way too many films. <laughs> I think about film way too much for somebody who does not have a film yet. <laughs> we're, we're exactly the same. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of great films. I could talk about film literally all day, every day, and I hope that I can one day. Um, like, I think I, my sure. favorite people are the people who like film. My favorite people are people who want to talk about film, who are excited about film, who want to make films. Yeah. Um, I would. You know what? I feel like maybe I need to do a film podcast. Yeah, abs- we, need, we should do a film podcast. You, you, you just caught my wind. I was just going to say you need to have a podcast where you just talk, just go off on movies. I absolutely endorse it. <laughs> I gotta find somebody else. You're the only person I know that like that that like can run with the pack when it comes like uh to what movies we can talk about there's very few people that can talk about that can go from you know uh the 70s telekinetic to talking about you know french new to, wave <laughs> to to lars van Tier, to brian thomas <laughs> from network to like you know yes. there's very few people who can kind of uh who can ha- manage that kind of uh that kind of pendulum swing back and forth in different levels of conversation I health. I appreciate your compliment. It took over 40 years to get to there. Oh yeah. I was just <laughs> I, I was I was raised in the film. It was something that I've always kind of wanted to do. It was something I always dreamed about doing and now I feel like um and now I'm I'm very close to having that come to fruition. Yeah, good. I I would like to, I would, uh, definitely I would love to look forward to a Malin Carita production. Me too. I just gotta get some budget up. I gotta get the budget up. Yeah. But I feel like it's coming. The you know part of the TV shows I'm doing and part of all that is not only to learn how the how the industry works because I'm from the I lived in the West Coast for a very long time, um, but to to kind of put a excuse me to, to kind of put a foundation down for okay, how do I get from learning production to making films because it's awesome watching films. It's awesome wanting to make films. But once you start making films, I have seen, uh, you know, as an actor, I have seen films break people. I have seen scripts make people quit and not ever come back to making films. Yeah. And me working production assistant um, on film sets and being storyboards, you can see the evolution that there's sometimes, Movies change on set to what the were the idea or the concept or um, it's definitely as working on movies. I applaud a movie that is completely finished and well done. It is a miracle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's oh, so yeah. many there's so yeah. many variables to just getting a movie from beginning to all the way completed to end. There are so many things that could go wrong does go wrong but to have it finished and done is a marvelous step mm-hmm. i mean people don't understand what it takes like yo i've i have had a breakup over a film once like <laughs> you know what i have like we have screened we have yelled i've been yelled at i literally was working on a film with uh somebody i'm i'm still talking to which i i don't know if that's a good idea but we're not gonna talk about my entanglements on the radio okay um on this show but uh, I have seen tempers flare. I have lost friendships working on film sets. People don't understand the amount of 
energy, the amount of passion and things that are needed. Nobody realizes that, yo, mo- a lot of big films have onset mediators. <laughs> a referee. Part of being a director is being able to be a good mediator. Because when you get people together in one room, there's a chance that, you know, not everybody's going to get along. Exactly. Yes. It's yeah. a testament. Every finished movie is a testament to how, like, uh, a testament to uh, how how strong, how patient somebody can be. I absolutely agree. I thank you. Yep. Um, well, Madeline, I have to say, we're this is it. This is the show. Thanks for coming. Oh, wow. Now I'm sad because there's so many more movies to talk about. Well, write them down, and then when you come back, we'll definitely bring. Uh, we'll carry on the conversation like we didn't even stop. You know what? That's a good idea. Um, <laughs> I I can't wait to actually do this in the studio. Yeah. So we can really we can really get our film Jones going. Oh, absolutely! So, yes, I would love. I'm already feeling the itch. I'm like, oh, film. Oh, oh, I need to. Y'all got more of that film? Y'all got more films in there? Just a little hit of film. I just need a little hit. Did you got you got any little Brian Palmer? Come on, man. I need it. A little David Fincher. So, Madeline, thanks for yeah. coming. I really appreciate it. We'll definitely have to come back, and we just have to continue our conversations about the whole history and loves our love of movies and just cite all the stuff we like about movies. Um, as you know, it's not over to the guest says it's over. Um, I guess we're coming to the end. Let the fat lady sing. Is it over? It's over. The there we go. There we, that's it. We're out.